following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. arrived at a very dangerous arcanum. The card associated with fragility. There is a tendency in students and missionaries in this movement to regress. To become negligent. And to go backwards in one's development. This is something that pertains to people, this arcanum, who have been working for some time in this teaching. This card is known as the Fulminated Tower, the Tower of Babel, the arcanum of negligence, of failure, of falling. I have personally spoken with many missionaries and students, whether from the internet or in person, for a long time, where I have heard and I've been confessed to how after a period of time of working in chastity, these students have struggled to maintain it. They have once been filled with enthusiasm, with joy, with a longing to want to work very diligently in this path, having some successes in meditation, in dream yoga, in alchemy. And yet, the great problem of students, and even so-called teachers in this doctrine, is consistency, or better said, the permanent center of gravity, which indicates or the master indicates in his writings, how our mindset is defined by certain habits, certain conditions, certain qualities of mind. Our gravity tends to be in our defects, meaning our focus, our means of acting, of living. We need to transfer our focus 
our center of self within the soul, within the essence. To be awake, to be vigilant, to be conscious. Because the problem is that people leave this path because they are not awake. They don't become aware of their own faults. The egos of lust that want to deviate. Desires in the mind that contradict our most noble aspirations, our greatest longings, our most profound virtues. So as much as we want to believe, whether we've been in Gnosis for 10 years, 20 years, 5 years, or whatever, there will always be elements in the mind that will want to pull us from the path. Egos of doubt, of skepticism, and more importantly, of desire, of animal lust, which pushes students to expel themselves from Eden, which is the natural bliss of the consciousness, particularly within a matrimony, within marital union. Because the greatest temptation is in sexuality between husband and wife. And if the couple is not careful in working on their mind, they can easily fall. They may want to, for a few brief moments, to give up everything. It happens. I've spoken with many people in this teaching for many years. Even missionaries have confessed to me that they are lustful, meaning willingly. It's one thing to have nocturnal pollutions in the beginning of this path because people who've been accustomed to fornication for many years have trained their body to expel the energies. So at night, when they are regenerating themselves or the vital body is regenerating the physical organism, the initiate cannot fully control those vital winds when a lustful dream enters in the mental plane, in the astral plane. But those people can make progress because it's one thing to willingly give up that energy and to have accidents. But what I'm speaking about in this arcanum is people who've been very dedicated in the teaching. And yet, for whatever reasons, whatever disillusionment they experience, they want to fall willingly. It comes to my mind a story of a missionary who was practicing alchemy for 10 years. And what happened was his wife wanted a kid, a child. She was Gnostic too, or practicing the doctrine. And because she wanted to have a physical child through the orgasm, and she was tempting and tempting him and pushing him to fall, he eventually gave in and said that he lost everything. All of his powers, his abilities, his ability to meditate, lost. So it's very tragic. It's very devastating. This arcanum is the arcanum of failure, of negligence, to not work on the ego. The reason why people become fulminated towers who fall on their work is because they are not meditating. They're not comprehending in their mind what they need to eliminate. Sadly, many people, their center of gravity is in lust or pride or anger. And any ego can 
pull us. If we're not observing what in us is thinking, feeling, and pushing us to do in our mind. So this arcanum is fragility, to be breakable. Fragility results from a lack of introspection, a lack of awareness of what one is, one's weaknesses. Because all of us have certain tendencies that make us weak. As strong and noble as we may assume we are, there are elements in the mind that will, at any instant, if we are not careful, will push us to deviate. Another problem with this card is that people tend to be very fascinated with novelties, spiritual doctrines. And there's a tendency in even missionaries and people to want to mix this type of knowledge with other things which don't relate. It's one thing to look for gnosis within Sufism or Buddhism or Judaism or Kabbalah and look at those scriptures to understand that this teaching is not just from one man, Samael and Vior, although he gave a very explicit doctrine, which is our focus here. We can find his writings explain and elucidate what the Sufis wrote, what the Kabbalists wrote, what the Muslims wrote, etc. But it doesn't mean that those doctrines as they are today represent or reflect what they once were. Because all religions degenerate with time. People adulterate the teachings. They mix new wine and old wineskins. They don't create a new mind for themselves to assimilate solar ideas. And so this is the problem with many people in this movement too, is that they like to mix gnosis with things that are incompatible. Mixing a gnosis with lust, with desire, with animality, with things that truly are of the Black Lodge. Very common. So we warn that it's important to study, to know the doctrine, to really practice it, so that we do not become fulminated towers, failures, wrecked ones. I'd like to read for you an excerpt from The Perfect Matrimony, which synthesizes the teachings of this lecture in the Mysteries of the 16th Arcanum, in which Samael and Vior explains how there is the tendency in students and missionaries to want to follow the black path because unfortunately that ego is very strong in people. The interest, the curiosity, the inclination to want to pull in that direction because as the Master taught taught us, we are 97% ego in the beginning. So there's a big weight and heavy conditioning that we all have to fight against, which pulls people very easily because, of course, their center of gravity is in the ego. It takes someone of tremendous will to go against Goliath, to be a David, a true king. But in this excerpt, I like to relate, the Master explains how when the colleges of initiation closed to the public during the Kali Yuga, the Dark Age, 
the Black Lodge opened its doors. And in that way, many people were introduced to teachings that were very impure. When the Dark Age arrived, the colleges of initiation were closed. This was a fatality. Henceforth, as a matter of fact, the great Black Lodges, which were born during the archaic darkness of the ancient times, became more active. The limit of light is darkness. Next to every temple of light, another of darkness exists. And where the light shines more brightly, there the darkness becomes more dense. The colleges of initiation from Egypt, Greece, India, China, Mexico, Yucatan, Peru, Troy, Rome, Carthage, Chaldea, etc., had their dangerous antipodes, their fatal antitheses, tenebrous schools of black magic, fatal shadows of the light. Those shadows, those schools of black magic, were the shadows of the colleges of initiation. Thus, when the colleges were closed, these fatal schools became very active. Therefore, it is not strange to find among these dens of the Black Lodge terms, sciences, and rituals similar to those that were used within the colleges of initiation. This confuses the devotees of the path. By nature, the devotee is a lover of the strange, of the exotic, of the distant, and of the impossible. Therefore, when the devotee finds a black magician of this type, speaking of the Egyptian, Mayan, Aztec, Inca, Greek, Chaldean, Persian mysteries, etc., they then ingenuously believe they have caught God by the beard and place themselves in the hands of the black magician, believing him to be white. These magicians of darkness abound wherever there existed colleges of initiation. They are the antitheses of those colleges and they speak like masters, always boasting about being initiates of those colleges. They never say anything that could arouse suspicion. They show that they are kind and humble, defend the good and the truth, adopt tremendously mystical attitudes, etc. Evidently, under such conditions, the naive and the inexperienced devotee abandons the path of the razor's edge and entrusts himself fully to those wolves in sheep's clothing. This is a fatality. Those schools of black magic are everywhere. We remember the dissident sect of the Mayans. Their adepts were expelled from the white Mayan lodge. They are black magicians. They established a school between the Yucatan and Guatemala. Presently, this school of Mayan black magic has active agents in Mexico and Guatemala. Nonetheless, who would dare to doubt these tenorous people who say they are Mayan princes and great priests? These people still speak with much reverence about Teoti, the supreme god creator and maintainer of the world. They become ecstatic when remembering Bacabes, the Mayan trinity, and Kamaxli, punisher of the evil ones, etc. Under these circumstances, it is very difficult to detect such tenebrous people. When the devotee entrusts himself to them, they then take him to their temples where they initiate him. Clearly, the devotee naively becomes a black magician. A devotee under these circumstances would never accept that he should be classified as a black magician. The abyss is full of sincerely mistaken people and people of very good intentions. Thus, on the banks of the Nile, as well as in the sacred land of the Vedas, 
There appear many tenorous people like this. Indeed, they are now very active, struggling to increase their numbers. If the student wants a key in order to discover these people in the shadows, we shall give it to him with great pleasure. Speak to the person about white sexual magic without spilling the semen. Mention scientific chastity to them. Tell them that you never spill your semen. This is the key. You can be sure that if the suspected person is really a black magician, he will try every means to convince you that sexual magic is bad for the health, that it is harmful, and will suggest to you the idea of spilling the semen. Be careful, good disciple, of such people who advise you to spill the cup of Hermes. They are black magicians. Do not let them seduce you with their sweet words, exotic manners, or strange names. Every devotee who spills the cup of Hermes inevitably falls into the abyss of fatality. Be vigilant. Remember that the path of the perfect matrimony is the path of the razor's edge. This path is full of dangers, both within and without. Many are they who begin, but it is very difficult to find someone who does not leave the path. The case of an initiate in the time of Count Cagliostro comes into my memory. This student practiced sexual magic intensely with his wife, and of course, naturally acquired degrees, powers, initiation, etc. Everything went very well until the day he had the weak misfortune to reveal his intimate matters to an occultist friend. Such friend was shocked and armed with great erudition, advised the initiate to abandon his practice of sexual magic in which the semen was not ejaculated. The teachings of his mistaken friend misguided the initiate. Henceforth, he dedicated himself to practice sexual magic with the spilling of the cup of Hermes. The outcome was disastrous. The kundalini of the initiate descended to the magnetic center of the Cossacks. This is how he lost his degrees and powers. Sword and cape, sacred tunics and mantles. This was a true disaster. This was a fatality. It is good to know that black magicians love to strengthen the mind. They asserted that only through the mind can man resemble God. The magicians from darkness mortally hate chastity. The devotees of the path who abandoned the path of the perfect matrimony in order to become disciples of the Black Lodge can be found in the millions. It happens that the devotees of occultism are attracted by the strange, by the novel and mysterious. And when they find a strange magician, they immediately place themselves in his hands like any vulgar prostitute of the mind. This is a fatality. Whosoever wants to be born as a cosmic angel, whosoever wants to transform himself into an angel with power over fire, air, water, and earth, whosoever wants to transform himself into a god must in fact not let himself be trapped by all of these dangerous temptations. It is very difficult to find people who are sufficiently firm and constant in order to never abandon the path of the perfect matrimony. The human being is extremely weak. This is a fatality. For many are called, but few are chosen. Therefore, through our doctrine, we achieve the elevation of a few beings to an angelic state, then we will consider our job done. I believe Paul Tarsus taught, the spirit is strong, but the flesh is weak. It is difficult to control the sexual energy. 
And it is difficult to really go into the roots of the mind to find all the elements of doubt, pessimism, morbidity, fatality. And I remember on one occasion, I believe I mentioned this story to you previously, I went to Egypt in the astral plane asking to enter the temple of Giza. All I saw was darkness over Cairo when I flew over this, the town. I came towards the entrance of the temple and a guardian stopped me with a dagger to my throat. And all he said was, many are called, few are chosen. And I was really struck and I reflect on that experience quite often in relation to this card. Fragility, fatality. Because as serious as I may consider myself in my work, there are elements in the mind that have to die. As strong and sincere as we are in our studies, as noble of a missionary we may be or a student, we have to remember that the ego is shaitan, the tempter, the devil. And that we have to face those temptations and conquer them. Because if we don't, we end up like this card, which is the fulminated tower. So we see in this image two figures falling face down into the waters of the card. The ray of cosmic justice fulminates the Tower of Babel, of which we will speak extensively about near the end of this lecture. In the waters of life, we see the very bottom third of the card, a staff of power, the staff of command, and a flail or whip of fragility. So the staff of power and the staff of command can refer to the spinal medulla of both man and woman, husband and wife. But the third element, the flail or whip, which the master describes as the flail or whip of fragility, can represent the tendency in us to want to fornicate. That flail, I believe, even that the whip was used to flagellate Christ 5,000 times, which is a symbol of how that initiate or the Christ in us must be whipped or faces those ordeals against the ego in the path of death and resurrection. We find that this flail represents weakness because if we let ourselves fall, we become whipped and scorned by karma, the divine law divine justice. These three weapons are surrounded by two serpents, Od and Obd, Vav and Zayin, Ida, Pingala, the solar and lunar serpents. It's interesting that we see two fallen people, or people falling head down. They represent fallen angels, fallen bodhisattvas, Beings who once reached great heights of attainment, even resurrected, and yet because they were tempted and still obeyed their mind, even a solar mind, they entered into either a, a marriage when it was forbidden to them and they couldn't control the energy, so they fell. And so they represent a couple that once built their tower, they built the solar bodies the spinal medulla, 
raising the gold of the spirit up to the brain, to the heart. They created the temple of the mysteries in them. But because they could not overcome their own mind, they fell. They entered temptation. So it seems difficult to comprehend. Why is it that a bodhisattva would fall? As we explained in our previous lecture on passion, there are some who become who make the mistake of falling in love at that level. Happened to Kanzanoni, who was resurrected. He fell in love with an actress from Naples. He obeyed his mind rather than his first love. You say Zanoni? Zanoni. And he took a wife when it was forbidden to him, but that when he was with her, he couldn't control his energy. So he fell. So he created uh, problems for himself in which he was executed in the French Revolution, of which Hector Berlioz in his Symphony Fantastique, the fourth movement, depicts the beheading of those initiates who fell with Zononi. Zononi was a resurrected master, and he became this fulminated tower. Berlioz, yes. He was. He was a great master of music. And so they depict, he depicts in that symphony the, the execution of Zononi and the death of those who betrayed the mysteries. So it's one thing to, in the case of many bodhisattvas, to take a partner when it's forbidden. Another thing is many of them also decided to fall and enter black magic, which is by far worse because they knew that through the arcanum of passion, if they were to first go down and if by the grace of God and incredible work to rise from that point, they will go even higher. But as I explained in the lecture on passion, it's a very dangerous path. And that can only be accomplished if the being forgives that initiate for their crime. So they are fallen pentagram. Notice that the legs of these two people are facing up their head down, the inverted pentagram. And so, other things we'll speak about in this lecture about this card, we have the Hebrew letter Ayin in the top right, which means eyes, spiritual sight, perception. If we fall like Samson, we lose our spiritual sight. We become blind spiritually. We become the blind led into the abyss by blind leaders. And it's important to really reflect on this card as painful and uncomfortable as it is because there are many initiates who let themselves fall. There are many who let the glass of Hermes spill, which is a symbol of the creative forces. And in our movement, there are many fallen bodhisattvas. They're very common. But as I explained to our students online and in person, we don't recommend people taking their time to find such people because they're not anything extraordinary. In the past, they might have been resurrected, but now they're demons. In fact, the Master Samael and Vior explains that many of them are worse or that they are worse than demons because at least a demon is consistent. They've always been in the Black Lodge and they stay there. But a fallen Bodhisattva, New Heaven, and Hell and betrayed Christ, which is very serious.
And in this movement, there are many people who like to follow either missionaries or people who proclaim themselves to be masters. There's a tendency in our movement to want to go out and proclaim, I am the master of so-and-so. Follow me. You find this in the Gnostic movement. It's very common, especially in Latin America, even in Europe. This is going on, and it's creating a lot of problems. As you remember in our lecture on Turandot, especially the third act, the Prince Caliph was smart. He said, my, untold, my secret lies with me. No one shall ever know my name. Because all the people of Peking want to know who he is, the, his secret of this master. So it's ironic that people go around saying, I am so-and-so, follow me. And personally, I've gone on the astral plane to investigate certain people that I knew about in this movement, to want to know if this person is really who they say they are. I remember the case of one person, I won't say his name over the internet, but I invoked him and I met with him, and I found that when I was with his followers, he was asleep, looking at his eyes in the astral body, in the astral plane, his ayin, because when you're in that state, you can see whether people are awake or asleep, subconscious, egotistically. People were very awake. You can see through the eyes of the soul, as Descartes said. I remember looking at this man. He had a, trying to impress his followers, had a, like a little medallion or bandana with wing, eagle's wings on his forehead. But his eyes were completely asleep. And I said to myself, this is a waste of my time. So I left and I did other things. But this is a person that was very well respected by certain people. Became a very big cult. But that's interesting that Samael Vera explains in his books, do not look for masters in this physical plane. Look for them in the astral plane. Because there we will teach you, he says. Use your ayin, your spiritual perception, to know the truth. And don't take people's word for what they say because the blind leading the blind will let, lead, lead them into the abyss is what Jesus said what's interesting about this Hebrew letter too is that it is found in the middle of the word da'at dalet ayin tav dalet means door as we explained in our Arcanum 4 ayin is eyes how we see and then tav means seal or truth, or covenant, or cross. Blessings from divinity, the perfection of the soul. That's a 22nd letter, which we'll explain at the end of this course. But if you want to know right from wrong, a master from a, a false one, a shepherd from a wolf, learn to enter through the door of your own internal worlds. Da'at, dalet with your spiritual perception, which you awaken in meditation. To know the mysteries of Mayin and, and Greek. To close one's physical eyes to illusion and go inside and meditate. And don't argue with people who say they're, they are such and such. And you'll find many students who are defending to the death people that I know personally who are not who they say they are. I personally don't waste my time talking to them. I just advise people, learn to meditate and look for the masters internally. So that you can receive the Tav the seal or covenant of God, the truth. And in that way, we avoid many dangers. You know, Jesus said very clearly, by their fruits you shall know them. 
But if you really want to know the roots of a person, look at their tree of life. Look at them in the internal planes. And your divinity will guide you. And personally, I've, I've done that with people and investigated certain situations and movements because I wanted to know who is this person that goes around saying that they are this and that. You know, I really don't waste my time doing that anymore. I do other things. But I remember at the time I was filled with a lot of doubt because like many students, I was confused. And I wanted answers because you find all these people in these movements going about proclaiming so-and-so is this, so-and-so is that. And personally, how, how do you know is the question. Unfortunately, people like to go to the group with the most people, the big crowds. They don't want to really reflect internally about what they need to do. And I really have more faith and more diligence in my work because of Samael and Vior. Personally, I know him for many years. Not physically. Internally, he's been teaching me for over a decade or more, instructing me about what I need to do to help. Help humanity. We can't just follow people at their word. We have to teach people. If we're teaching, we have to teach people to know what they need to do, how to be independent, and find the answers for themselves. Don't follow groups or people, but groups are useful and that we get inspired. We learn how to defend ourselves, to, to protect ourselves and learn how to not be a fulminated tower. But, and I say this to missionaries here on, and online, if you're leading groups, you need to know how to receive your answers internally because it's a crime to teach people what you don't know or to lie about things or say things that, or teach about things that you don't necessarily have verification of. If you have doubt, even intellectually, you don't understand a concept, but to go to wrong groups and teach people what one doesn't know is a very serious crime. But the best way to benefit humanity is have experience, relate to the books that some of you are taught, and to instruct people to have, they have certainty. But there are missionaries who are blind. And I've talked with people who are fulminated towers. They say that they lead groups, and yet they masturbate. They do evil, wicked things. So it's very serious. The blind leading the blind will all tumble into the abyss. And personally, I take the time and effort to teach things that I am familiar with. First, you learn to read. You become instructed in terms of having an intellectual certainty of things, which is useful and necessary for people. And then, the more we practice, the more certainty we gain because of experience. And that's how we grow. Especially for our missionaries who we are instructing to teach. So don't think that you need to know everything about the doctrine in order to teach, but teach the things that you have certainty of. And that's what's going to benefit. So that way we don't become like fulminated towers, fallen pentagrams. It's interesting that the sign of the infinite represents brain, heart, sexuality. This is the continuum of Tantra, the Holy Eight. If sexuality dominates the brain, then the fulminated tower results. Samayanvayar stated that the infinite is equal to the pentalpha. The infinite is found within the human being. So if our sexuality, our desires, 
control our mind and we give in to lust, then that pentagram which was once upright falls. So we must never spill the wine of alchemy. It is the nectar of the gods, the elixir of long life or longevity, as we explained in Arcanum 14, the Arcanum of Temperance. Remember that the ens seminis contains the ens virtutis, the virtue of the spirit, which is where we get words like virtue, virility, strength, viria, the warrior. Salman also explains that to prevent this arcanum from happening in us, let our head be of Ra and our arms, body, hands, and legs be of Tum. Ra is the solar logos, the Christ. Tum is the Father. It's a very powerful mantra we mentioned in Arcanum 9, in which we invoke Christ from the absolute down into our head with the consonant T, the cross, or Tav in Hebrew. And then the vowel U is the solar Christ in our abdomen, in our heart, circulating into our waters, our mem. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let our arms, hands, and feet be of tomb. Meaning, let us always do runes, invoke Christ, charge ourselves with solar energy. May our mind always be solar, meaning Christic, filled with good things, good virtues, qualities of the soul, the beauty of the consciousness, divine thoughts, not egotistical fears, doubts, skepticisms, pains, worries, anxieties, depression, fear, hatred, negative thoughts. If you read that chapter from Treaties of Revolutionary Psychology, where Samuel Ver is explaining how to self-observe, he, talk, he gives a whole chapter on negative thinkers and says the reason why people leave the path is because they identify with a negative thought. A negative thought, an ego that thinks contrary to what we want to do. So as much as we love the teaching, if we're not observing ourselves, we're going to see that we'll be influenced by the mind, which by a, a fault that says, I don't like this doctrine. It sounds fanatic. It sounds crazy. It sounds too painful. Why do I have to renounce the orgasm, desire? And people, pe- even people in this doctrine for decades fall into this trap. They don't observe who in them is thinking or feeling or pushing in their mental center. In the words of Samayan Vior, noxious films, filthy images, pornographic elements. What's the source of these negative Is the ego. So the ego is the one who thinks and pushes the initiate to do this, this, and this. If we're not observant and vigilant of ourselves, we won't discriminate who in or what in us is acting. There's another entity in us. And that's the ego. If we're not, if we're not self-observing, we're not going to see the difference. We're just going to think this is who I am. Yeah, I mean, I thought this teaching was very interesting, but now I'm gonna, I'd rather play football or do something else, or go be with my friend, or you know, not really take the time to really question who is thinking in us. That's the ego. It's always thinking, feeling, wanting to do very negative things. But if we become athletes of meditation. And self-observation, we'll see in the moment when we see an ego come in and start thinking for us. Negative thoughts, especially ones of doubt and skepticism, which are very deep and very profound and negative, which we all have. The solution to doubt is to meditate. When you feel overwhelmed by 
negative elements or fear or suspicion or doubt about this teaching. It's like, well, you have to remember and reflect on what your experiences are in your Christ. Personally, I've, I've had many experiences for practicing a very long time, which has given me a lot of faith. So I know that when, I, when certain egos come up in me, I says, okay, I don't like this from you. Stop talking to me, I say to my mind. Do what I will. And the Master of Samael explains in Igneous Rose, when your mind assaults you with doubts and fears and negativities, say to your mind, mental body, you belong to me. I am your Lord and you are my servant. You will do what I want. But the problem is in this movement, people don't really question what arises psychologically in themselves. And then they mistake that egotistical thought or identity as who they really are. So they have no real genuine experience of the being in many cases. Well, then there's more than one being in you. There's a positive one and a negative one. Well, the being is, is divinity. It's this term we use for the innermost, our spirit, which is Ra, the solar energy, the divine Christ. But if we're not really very discriminatory in our mind, really sifting through in meditation what we experience in our thoughts and feelings and actions in a day, to really question what's true and what's false, then we just we get, we get caught up in the current of life and we go along with it. But the solution to this problem of overcoming the danger of falling is to really be mindful of ourselves and comprehend what impressions we take in in our life. Because we explained in our lecture on uh, transforming impressions. We have to learn to take in good elements psychologically. A problem with many people in this teaching is that many people are fascinated with very bad television, very negative movies, pornography, elements that have a lot of lust, anger, violence, very bad articles in newspapers, television and movies especially. And if you look at Hollywood and most of the things that are being produced today are total garbage. And I've had students ask me, well, how is it that I'm not being able to meditate or comprehend myself? And I ask, well, what are you doing in the day? Do you watch television or movies or things? And they say, yes. Well, what do you, what do, you do? Like I watch Game of Thrones or watch things which are very barbaric, very difficult and very negative. So it's like, well, you're trying to meditate while punching a hole in your boat. It's like being in a boat, you're trying to pale out the water, and meanwhile you're punching holes in the bottom. If you fill in your boat with water, if you're trying, and allegorically speaking, if you're trying to meditate, but you're ingesting garbage all day, not just physically, but mentally, psychologically, of course it's going to be very difficult to overcome the mind. It's counterproductive. And modern music, too. Most of it is very bad. There's some things which are more neutral, more in limbo, you could say. But a lot of music like extreme forms of gangster rap, death metal, you know, a lot of music that's very violent today. No, very low. What's shocking, I mean, talk about Alpha and Omega, if you listen to some of the Nocturnes or Chopin's music or the Clinton, and then you, you do listen to this other, the gap is so huge that it's a question of vibration. There's something, these people who like this rock and all this really satanic type music, poor souls, they never had a chance to see the other side. That's one aspect of it. 
which is why we are giving lectures on opera, to teach people that there is food that's very beneficial for the soul. Um, for the soul. So we have to be very careful with what impressions we take in. We emphasize that uh, the impressions we take in either nourish our soul or the mind. And a lot of art reflects consciousness, whether for good or for ill. So we explain this a lot in our lectures on uh, opera, especially, as a divine form of art, which we can study, you can study on our websites. But we emphasize that we have to be careful with the impressions we take in. Because, in the words of the Sufis, certain impressions can either feed the soul or feed desire. So this humanity is very much addicted to pornography and violence and, and negativity, which is why those forms of be- animal behavior permeate art and television, movies, etc. But we want to remember that, uh, that we want to... Well, what we want to say is that uh, in this graphic on uh, to Brent Falls, we have a representation of, I don't remember what saint it is, I believe it's uh, St. Anthony, surrounded by women and lusts and figures who are tempting this figure. And it's a symbol of uh, how the soul has to face temptations in the mind. But yes, this type of art form is a representation of the psyche, of the consciousness. What happens psychologically, subconsciously, when we are learning to meditate and look at ourselves to see what in us is negative and what in us has to be faithful to our being. So the Sufis explain that lust or desire is of three kinds. And if we want to work on developing our chastity, it's it's important to refrain from digesting elements which feed the ego, feed desire. There's a teaching given by Hujwari, he's a great Persian mystic, in his book, Revelation of the Mystery, where he explains the work of developing chastity. I believe the Sufi that he references is in the name of Al-Shibli, where he explains the nature of developing chastity through sight, through purity. Tell the believers to refrain their eyes from the Quran, chapter 24, verse 30, as follows. O Muhammad, tell the believers to refrain their bodily eyes from what is unlawful and to refrain their spiritual eyes from everything except God, i.e. not to look at lust and to have no thought except the vision of God. It is a mark of heedlessness to follow one's lusts and to regard unlawful things. And the greatest calamity that befalls the heedless is that they are ignorant of their own faults. For anyone who is ignorant here shall also be ignorant hereafter. Or from the verse from the Quran, chapter 27, verse 74. Those who are blind in this world shall be blind in the next world. In truth, until God clears the desire of lust out of a man's heart, the bodily eye is not safe from its hidden dangers. And until God establishes the desire of himself in a man's heart, the spiritual eye is not safe from looking at other than him. So, to answer your comment about 
modern television or movies and art. This image has a lot of nudity for sure, which we can interpret with our own desires, our own lusts, our own egotism. But also we could see through here a representation of something psychological, of a spiritual truth. And of course to interpret art is a very delicate thing because art is a reflection of consciousness. If we learn to reflect our, or awaken our perception, we can in turn interpret what those work of art represent, psychologically speaking. Yeah, and the skull here is a symbol of working in the death of desire, the death of the ego, which notices consternation and his look of disgust towards these lustful women, symbolizes all of his lustful egos coming at him. So this work of art represents, in a very conscious way, initiatically, this precept of the Quran: tell the believers to refrain their eyes from lust, from desire. But we're just stating that in works of art that are very common today, they don't teach the path of initiation in the light, with chastity. Because these forms teach people how to be more violent or negative or harmful. But of course, they tend to be mixed. Because you find even good characters in these shows, which can be very violent and very graphic. Of course, we find that. But... Uh, in terms of finding works of art that really reflect and teach how to develop the soul is uh, very rare. Because, of course, the Black Lodge is working very diligently to teach people how to awaken in desire through animality, through hatred, through violence. But, of course, this image is graphic. And yet, we find in its symbolism representations of how to work against the mind. Al-Shibli also, uh, we'll take questions uh, towards the end, but we also find that uh, Al-Shibli mentioned a demarcation between those who are in love with God and those who are in love with lust. It is related that one day when Shibli came into the bazaar, the people said, This is a madman. He replied, You think I am mad, and I think you are sensible. May God increase my madness and and you your sense. I.e., inasmuch as my madness is the result of intense love of God, while your sense is the result of great heedlessness, may God increase my madness in order that I may become nearer and nearer to Him, and may He increase your sense in order that you may come farther and farther from Him. This He said from jealousy, Gairat, that anyone should be so beside oneself as not to separate love of God from madness and not to distinguish between them in this world or the next. So, of course, people who hear about the doctrine of chastity obviously think it's very insane, especially to our modern culture. People who are very fascinated with adultery and fornication and behaviors which are very degenerate. But losses of three kinds, through eating, speaking, and looking. So this image represents how we have to control our sight, to not let desire 
govern our psyche, our conditions. There's a teaching in Islam about eating what is lawful. And as I said, that can represent not only food, but the impressions we eat. What does it mean to eat that which is lawful, psychologically speaking, physically? It means not to look at any person with lust, with desire, with fornication, but to be uh, pure of mind. And as we find in this text too, we learn to control our sight through meditation. It's a teaching from a Sufi initiate. I believe his name was Al-Assam. Where he explains how we have to control our vision. Whether we walk on the street and we see people of the opposite sex. Or women or men. And control that desire in the heart. To want to adulterate and commit adultery with that person. Desire or fornication in the heart. Lust is of three kinds. Lust in eating, lust in speaking, and lust in looking. Guard thy foot by trust in God, thy tongue by telling the truth, and thine eye by taking example. Real trust in God proceeds from right knowledge. For those who know him right, aright have confidence that he will give them their daily bread, and they speak and look with right knowledge, so that their food and drink is only love, and their speech is only ecstasy, And their looking is only contemplation. So if we are looking at art with contemplation is one thing. But to be looking with desire is another thing. So it's good if we ingest art and food for our soul, which will strengthen our consciousness. But if we can watch certain things with contemplation, if one can do it, it's very difficult to not look at lustful images with desire. But unfortunately, because we're so conditioned by the ego, that the mind easily takes those impressions subconsciously, and then the mental and astral planes, those images reproduce themselves in the mind and become effigies, entities in that dimension which fornicate with the disciple and cause them to have nocturnal pollutions. So this is the danger of looking at images of a lustful type. But if one can contemplate nudity or lustful graphic images without identifying is a skill that one can develop in meditation. But, of course, we develop that little by little. But the more we work on our ego, our desires. Accordingly, when they know aright, they eat what is lawful. And when they speak aright, they utter praise of God. And when they look aright, they behold him. Because no food is lawful except what he has given and permits to be eaten. And no praise is rightly offered to anyone in the 18,000 worlds except to him. It is not allowable to look on anything in the universe except his beauty and majesty. It is not lost when thou receivest food from him and eatest by his leave. Or when thou speakest of him by his leave. Or when thou seest his actions by his leave. On the other hand, it is lost when of thy own will. Thou eatest even lawful food, or of thy own will thou speakest even praise of him, or of thy own will thou lookest even for the purpose of seeking guidance. So levels of knowledge here. And when the Sufis explain that food is lawful, it means obviously it's not pork or alcohol, according to that tradition. 
So they're very strict in their dietary guidance. But what constitutes lawful food is, will that element physically, psychologically, emotionally, feed our consciousness or feed our ego? Is the question. Of course, we develop that discrimination by awakening our soul, awakening our consciousness. That's what it means to work with ayin, spiritual sight. Because spiritual sight, discrimination against the ego, is madness to fornicators. It's not common sense for them. So another level of this too is that more and more we learn to rely on the being to guide us in our meditations and also in our daily life. How to better live more consciously with more purity, taking in good foods, good nutrition for our soul, our consciousness. So we explain that initiates who lose their Chastity, lose their crown and their sword. The crown is in the pineal gland. The sword is the kundalini. As happened with the case of an initiate who followed Zononi, he lost his powers. He lost his crown, his cape, which internally in the astral plane we can receive those vestures as a symbol of our work. But those are taken away when we, if we fall. So the Master Samanvir explains that there are also four occult pillars granted towards the victorious one, those who learn not to fall ever sexually. They conquer the kingdom of life, Malkut, the submerged mineral kingdom, the molecular region or astral plane, the mental plane, and the electronic or spiritual world. We achieve this through working with the eye of Oros, Aor, the light. Aor in Hebrew means light. And oros, oros in Spanish means gold. The gold of the spirit. Which we develop by working in chastity. The eye of perception, ayin. Because even if you look at the word aorus, the pronunciation of that name, horus, the light of Aur descends from the Absolute down into our head and expresses through our throat. Aur-ros. The fire of Shin, the creative energy, is working there. And that feeds, like through mantras and prayers, our spiritual sight, our perception. And that is working with Ain in Hebrew, Da'at. The symbol of Oros is the falcon, a symbol of the innermost. And it can represent the solar wings of the initiate which rise up the spine when we are purifying our sight, purifying our perception. They also can refer to the solar bodies. So we've explained that the intellectual animal does not have a soul yet. We have what's called lunar bodies, lunar specters, vehicles that we work with or operate with in the world of dreams, the astral plane, the mental plane. These are not true vehicles of Christ. 
the Christic energies. They don't really have any luminosity or light, power, virtue, consciousness. These are vehicles that are material. They're not vaporous or vague or phantasmagoric. Like if you wake up in the astral plane and if you look at your body, you may see that you're very dark, transparent, lunar, like a ghost. This is a symbol that represents literally for us the lunar bodies, the lunar vehicles. We have to create Christic vehicles, solar bodies, which can allow us to operate in the astral plane with cognition. And so many people in this movement write to us asking, how do I have experiences in the astral plane? How can I be more awake in that dimension? And the solution is, if you're married, work in alchemy. Create those bodies so that you have the capacity to generate more light. Work with Aurus, the fire and the light of the Ain Sof Or in you, so that you can navigate in those regions with more lucidity. And in that way, when you have more cognition, you prevent yourself from falling, from being tempted, from being misled. Because as we said, there are many wolves in sheep's clothing in this physical plane. The Black Lodge is very active in humanity, such as in our television and movies. And music, especially, where violence and pornography and uh, lust and desire is being propagated in order to pull people down into lust. And especially against the White Lodge, who is working to develop chastity in students, in missionaries. Because that is mostly where that weapon is being lodged against. And I remember the Master Samuel, uh, Samuel Anvir was told internally that after the publication of the perfect matrimony there would be a great retaliation from the Black Lodge. So Samuel and Vera waited for years looking for publications that would speak against his book which never came around. And then he eventually found out that what the Black Lodge was doing is producing pornography. And so that's the method and weapon that they've been using to pull people from the doctrine, is lust. And so what we have to remember is that if we want to prevent temptations in the mind, if we are filled with a lot of sexual fire, a lot of energy that needs to be transmuted, it's important to be married, to work in alchemy, especially if one has that dharma, that blessing, to create the solar body so that one is very awake internally, can channel more light internally. But, uh, of course, that's a process. We have to learn to develop the soul so that in the internal worlds we can investigate things more clearly. So a lot of people, they often say and believe that they have an immortal soul. And this is a fatality. That people already think they're immortal. That one day when they physically die, they'll go into the next life with full cognizance, awareness, and benedictions from God that they're going to immediately go to heaven just by their beliefs. And unfortunately, no one is born again by believing. The human being is not born from the parchment of theory, but from chastity, from working in a marriage. Birth is a result of sexuality, and the birth of the soul is no different. But of course, there are certain procedures that one needs to work with to avoid fragility to avoid failure. 
We have to create what is known as a Christ mind and the Christ astral so that we have more cognition internally. Otherwise, we can easily uh, be misled internally. So, it's important that we learn to awaken our consciousness, awaken our soul. We have to learn to be athletes of astral travel, astral projection. And in that way, we can investigate any teaching, any book, any scripture, any teacher, any prophet, and really know the internal truth of that person, place, thing, or idea. So that if we're tempted by the teachings of such and such or writings that teach one to fornicate, etc., we can, of course, investigate those people and see what they are. So this is an image we see of a woman who is levitating, flying towards an open window, a symbol of astral projection, astral travel. It's important to learn how to navigate in those worlds with lucidity, with cognition. We often practice what is called the key of soul, which is an acronym for subject, object, location. Subject, meaning at all times we are aware of where we are at physically, aware of our mind, aware of our body, aware of ourselves. And also becoming aware of the objects of any place we're at, such as in this studio, this place. The objects in the walls, the doors, the people in front of us, the different Buddhist statues, the clock. And also looking at the location, the streets, the city where we're at, our surroundings. Subject, object, location is a method we use moment by moment, questioning ourselves. Where are we at? Who are we? What is our location? What are we doing here? How did we get here? And becoming conscious of where we're talking or who we are with. Because oftentimes we go into the astral plane without any awareness, knowledge of where we are at or what we are doing. Because the problem is we don't have any cognition of where we are physically. And that's the ironic and scary part. People believe that when they die, they will go to some heaven and they'll continue to exist forever, ignoring that if they are not awake in their dreams, they won't be awake after death. And the same life that people live physically is the same life people live internally. If we're unconscious physically, meaning in a spiritual sense, then when we go to sleep at night, eight hours pass, we return to our body, and we have no awareness of where we were at or what we did. So this, this is a profound reflection of a state of ignorance. Or in, as we taught in the four states of consciousness, ikasya, complete unconsciousness. But also there are pistis, sleep with dreams, we may dream a few dreams at night and wake up in the morning and realize that we were not really aware of where we were. We could have had dreams of our work 
our job, where we were, doing strange things, things that don't make any sense. And then we physically awaken, don't really pay much attention to that state. It's very ironic and unusual that, again, people think that when they die that they're going to be conscious of heaven. But meanwhile, their psychological sleep is reflected in their daily sleep. This is why the Greek myth of Hypnos and Thanatos taught that they were brothers. What we are in physical sleep is what we will be in death. And this is the great problem. If we are not aware of our daily states, we will not be aware after death. Which is why in this teaching we practice the key of soul. Subject, object, location. Be aware of where you're at. Know who you are, what you're doing. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Be aware of the objects of where you're at. And then look at your location. This is an expansion of consciousness from our individuality to our surroundings. And if we question in our physical life, where am I? What am I doing here? How did I get here? And a little trick you do is pull your finger. You don't have to pull too hard or injure yourself, but hold your finger and pull it so that you try to stretch it. The reason being is that when you go to the astral plane, if you do the same questioning like you do physically, you may pull your finger and realize that it's stretching because in the astral plane, the lunar astral body is elastic, plastic. It's subjected to different laws. And you can pull your finger and see that it's stretched and then you realize, I'm not here in the physical dimension, but I'm in the internal planes. And that gives you certainty of where you're at. And in that way, you can go off and investigate what you need to investigate. Subject, object, location. The key of soul reminds us of sun, soul, solar, to awaken the consciousness. And why do we talk about the key of soul in relation to our condom 16? People who do not awaken in their dream state are dreaming in physical life. And they can easily be misled by the Black Lodge. And in that way, lose development. We need to learn to investigate in the internal planes with lucidity and with a lot of dedication. And the key of soul can help us with that. Another analogy we can think of in relation to this dynamic is, imagine a candle placed in front of a series of mirrors. That light reflects back and forth in all the mirrors so that it's one light that's reflected in many Subject, object, location. Expand your light. Be attentive of where you're at and what you're doing at all times. Question, where am I? What am I doing here? How did I get here? Because a lot of times we walk down the street, we don't really have any awareness of what we're doing. We're thinking about our friends or girlfriend or fiance or whomever. And then we realize we walk two blocks and this is, uh, how did I end up here? I don't realize how I ended up in this place. Because I was thinking so much about my job, my career, my worries, my problems. And that means that we're dreaming. We're not awake. If we're constantly dreaming in our physical state, daydreaming, never attentive, never aware, then when we go to sleep and, and enter the astral dimension, we do the same thing. Eight hours go by, we return to our body, and all we have are just incongruent fragments of the dream state that don't have any real substance. 
But what we want in these studies is to have full cognition of where we're at. So that in the astral plane, if we have an astral body, more easily can we travel to the temples of the White Lodge, receive guidance, receive instruction, be taught what we need to do in our daily life. So as to avoid problems, avoid situations which can harm us, create difficulties for us, difficulties for others. Because this is essential. It's fundamental. If we want to avoid falling, deviating, making mistakes, we need to receive that direct guidance from God, from our being. If we're not talking face-to-face with our inner God, not learning from Him internally, obviously people become filled with despair and doubt and fear and uncertainty and they say, this teaching doesn't work. Why am I doing this? Because people don't have any faith. This is why people leave the doctrine. They don't see results. It's because they're not really working on themselves or not working effectively. But if you have that experience in the internal planes where they talk to you and show you what your state is, you can get a lot of help. Where personally, I mean, I work with Salman Vior where he teaches me internally things related to my job, my career, my alchemical work, my spiritual work, my meditations. And that gives a lot of faith for me. I know that I'm not alone and people who are working in the same way can receive help. But this is why we get so many letters and people filled with despair that they're not seeing any changes in themselves. I don't understand meditation. I don't understand the transformation of impressions. I don't understand what the ego is. Things are, which are really fundamental and basic, but it may seem a little strange, but it's, it's unfortunate that unfortunately many people work and try to work in themselves, but don't see the results they want. And of course, we always go back to the fundamental question of chastity. Without that energy, there is no light. There is no fire. We cannot raise any energy up the spine to the brain, to the head, to the heart. And in that way, open the wings of the auros, the falcon of the spirit, so that with those wings, we can go in the astral plane, enter jinn states, and get the help we need. But it's really tragic. I talk to many people online, people who are suffering a lot. They really want to change and enter the mysteries of this doctrine, but admit that they're very tempted by other things as well. The problem is not the teaching. It's the, the application. It's the ego. The ego is the problem. Lust is the problem. Feeding the mind with a lot of negative impressions, saturating the ego with a lot of weight, it makes it very difficult to meditate and to comprehend the subconsciousness. Because what we, we become what we eat is the famous saying in what is it, culinary studies or even just conventional, conventional studies. Like what, we, you know, what you become, what you eat. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. And what you are psychologically determines more things for us. We become what we think. If what we think is animal and violent and negative and perverse and degenerate, we become that. So why, uh, so why feed the ego with those elements, especially with certain shows and things that can be very negative? But of course, you know, we choose what we eat psychologically. It's good to eat good things psychologically. Like with uh, you know, opera or classical music, things which are very elevated, which come from the absolute. Really, that music comes from the ain't soft ore and reflects all the tree of life. 
It's very beautiful. And it's good to take in those impressions. So we're just mentioning some basic things which can help us to prevent us from losing any development. Is subject, object, location is a key one. The key of soul. In that way, in the astral plane too, we avoid falling sexually. Because many times... If we're working very diligently in chastity, we get tempted internally by the Black Lodge and even by our own mind, where certain witches or sorcerers, people of the opposite sex, will come to us and will try to lure us into a bed or get us to engage in fornication. And I've had this happen many times, where I'll, I'll be walking in the astral plane and suddenly I'll be assaulted by a witch, a woman trying to tempt me. Very beautiful, diabolic temptations, and, but fortunately I follow my heart. And I meditate on my lust and discriminate what am I seeing here and question. And when I know that I'm in trouble, I conjure and I fight them, reject them. I'll tell you one case in which I was practicing the key of soul. I was walking in some building, very awake in a samadhi. I was helped by a group of angels to have a very awakened state after conquering a certain ordeal earlier that night. And I remember walking down this hallway, seeing a lot of people and suddenly someone bumped me. And I followed my heart in and I intuitively knew, don't respond. And I said to myself, if this person bumps me a second time, I know it's a witch. And I just ignored, kept on walking. Got a second bump. Turned around and it was a woman, very diabolically beautiful, very evil, but I knew it was a sorceress. So I started conjuring her. But the holy tetragrammaton, just repeating it again and again. And we, we locked hands and it was a, battle on the astral plane where she was conjuring me, trying to pull my lust and ego to awaken me down in Klipot. And I was fighting with my coxes to reject her. But fortunately I defeated her and was able to leave that place. It was a very difficult battle. But I remember that I would not have been able to prevent myself from falling if I didn't practice the key of soul. It is the key of awakening consciousness. Be aware of yourself where you're surrounded by, and where your location is. So that whole time, fortunately, because I got a lot of help from a group of angels, they were warning me and telling me, you know, you need to be very awake tonight. We're going to help you. So I had to be in the astral plane for many hours in a vigil state. And so they were warning me and showing me things, and I had to face those temptations. But if I wasn't as serious as I, I was practicing the key of soul, I could have easily fallen. Could have taken me and woken me in hell, and that could have been that. I could have just said, looked up again, said, you know what? It's more joyful down there than up there. But fortunately, I know, I know better. A lot of people don't. They don't discriminate by what they see, what they perceive. They just go with the flow. Which is why in today's society, you see so much garbage. It's really run by awakened people. Is uh, the Black Lodge, not the White Lodge. Of course, the White Lodge is using certain Hollywood and people and things to make some changes with certain things, but it's very rare. Very hard to find. So we'll talk about the Hebrew letter Ayin. We talk a lot about the book of Psalms. This series of verses from Psalm 119, verses 121 to 128. All begin with the Hebrew letter Ayin, from right to left, which summarizes many of the things we've been talking about today.
I have done the just and right thing. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. My eyes fail for your salvation and for the word of your righteousness. Deal with your servant by your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Make me consider and I will know your testimonies. It is time for Yahava to work. They have broken your law. So I have loved your commands more than gold, even fine gold. So I count holy right all the precepts. I have hated every false way. So I have done the just and right thing. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Meaning we're working in chastity and then internally we get persecuted. Let not the proud oppress me. Like this witch that came after me, very proud, thinking I'm a demon because I'm working with Christ. This is how they think. Inverted. Like the witches in Macbeth. Fair is foul and foul is fair. However, through smoke and filthy air, they know how to fly in the astral plane. They know how to be awake in that state. They know how to manipulate people. You know, that's what they're doing in this humanity right now, very actively, sucking people down. And internally, they fight us. They're proud. My eyes fail for your salvation and for the word of your righteousness, meaning we're meditating and we're seeking guidance internally. We want to have that spiritual perception of God where we get that insight, comprehend the ego, annihilate it, receive guidance internally. And another practice we can use for that to help remember our dreams is a very beautiful mantra called Ra Om. Ga Om. You, pronounce, you prolong it so that if you have experiences internally and you want to remember them when you first wake up, we do that mantra. Sing it mentally until the memories of your experiences enter your mind. And in that way, our eyes don't fail for his salvation and for the word of his righteousness because we remember what we experience, the guidance we received internally. In that way, we perceive what we, we remember what we perceived internally. Because sometimes people have experiences, but they return to their body and they don't remember anything. Because the connection between their internal vehicles and their physical brain is not good. There's ways to remedy that with, uh, I believe there's a diet you can eat in the mornings, ground almonds with honey and uh, citrus fruit. Grapefruit especially is good. But deal with your servant by your mercy. Teach me your statutes when in, internally and through meditation. I am your servant, make me consider and I will know your testimonies. To testify is to work with the testes. To testify, to know. We can't testify and experience the truth if we're not working with the energy daily, the creative forces. I am your servant. Make me consider and I will know your testimonies. It is time for Yahweh to work. They have broken your law. Meaning those fornicating black magicians break the law of chastity and therefore they fight against us very diligently. So I have loved your commands more than gold, even fine gold, the gold of Aurus, the light. And I count all your precepts as sacred, I have hated every false way. Meaning those doctrines that teach people how to be more demonic, 
more angry, more violent, more hateful, more lustful, more proud. The way that we can learn about it is through the mysteries of Ain. Ain, spelled out in its letters. equals the number 130. Even the word Yahava, if you add the letters of Yot, He, Vau, He, adds up to 26. 2 plus 6 is 8, the infinite. But Ayin, if you add 26 times 5, 26 relating to Yahava, times 5, the Pentalpha, equals 130. So the perfected human being made into the image of Jehovah is the work of Ayin, Da'at, Gnosis. We find that the Christ is in us, is in the microcosmos, the Pentelpha. So there's a famous statement given in the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 118, verses 22 to 23, about the work of the stone of Yasod, which pertains to this arcanum very beautifully. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the doing of Yahava, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So the stone that the builders rejected is chastity, is a marriage, alchemy. The word stone in Hebrew can mean aben, or is spelled aben, aleph ben bet nun. Ben can also mean sun in Aramaic, which is reference to chokmah, jachava in Kabbalah. When you add the letter aleph, the breath, the wind, to your stone, your ben you spell, or you add it to Ben, which means sun, the Christ. You spell Aben, which means stone. So when you're working with your ovaries or testicles, this, with the transmutation, you're working with your stone. The builders refuse to work with the stone, meaning those people who build this whole planet of Babel, this humanity, all the cities filled with their garbage and pollution and negativities and crime, in extortion, in violence, in adultery. Those people refuse to work with their stone. And yet it has become the headstone of our corner, the temple of Christ in us, our own tower, our spine. And it is marvelous in our eyes, meaning if we're awakening our spiritual sight or perception and meditation and astral travel, we find that this is marvelous. Having those experiences where you are awake in the astral dimension and you're receiving all that help from God. It's a very marvelous thing. Such a rare thing too. And the problem is chastity. People do not want to resolve the problem of chastity. They want, they want to work with that power. They're tempted. They want to be fulminated towers. The vision of divinity, the spiritual sight of God, is everywhere. Omniscience. And this power of omniscience is the eye of Ra, the solar logos. Divinity sees heaven and hell. And if we awaken to our inner being, our true nature, we can know all the tree of life and even the infernal dimensions too. We do it through the power of Vav and Zayin, the two witnesses of the spinal medulla, Ida Pingala. As it states in the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 3, the eyes of Yachavah are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, meaning both in Yesod and above in Da'at, in the tree of life. So this letter Ayin is dualistic. 
can be positive, can be negative, because spiritual perception can be awakened in consciousness and the being, or it can be awakened in the ego through desire. We have a very beautiful teaching from the Quran, from the longest surah, Al-Baqarah, the cow, I believe verses 6 through 20, which talks about how Prophet Muhammad was precisely teaching the initiates of his time how to work with Ayn, their spiritual sight, and not to be fulminated towers. Because you have to remember that in Arabia, there were many fallen bodhisattvas trying to rise at that time. And also a lot of sorcery. So Muhammad was, Prophet Muhammad was fighting very diligently against the sorcerers of his time. Even physically, he had to defend himself you know, through a holy war. Indeed, those who disbelieve, it is all the same for them whether you warn them or do not warn them. They will not believe. So it's important that we unpack what belief means in Arabic. The word believer is mumin, al-mumin, or the plural al-muminin, which relates to ma'im, the waters, working in chastity. Also to believe, to be through love, to be through the power of the libido, is the power of belief. When you really know for yourself, from experience, what these things mean. But when we have those conscious experiences and teach people this doctrine, often many people have a lot of resistance because they don't have that experience for themselves. And so Muhammad, or the prophet of Islam, had this difficulty. Allah has set a seal upon their hearts and upon their hearing, and over their vision is a veil, and for them is a great punishment. And the people of, and of the people are some who say, we believe in Allah on the last day, the day of resurrection, in which at the end of the path, through the, the second mountain, one will fully unite with God. Does it mean that by believing in Islam or Judaism or Catholicism, that by thinking that Jesus is our Savior, that we're going to immediately go to heaven, that our physical body is going to resurrect from the grave, enter into some samadhi? This is not the meaning. Resurrection only applies to people who are fully dead as an ego. So here Muhammad is talking to a lot of people who are very advanced, but also to people in the audience who are sorcerers. And there are many who say they believe in Allah on the last day, or like many people who say they believe in Samael and Vior and the doctrine, and yet they don't believe because they're not chaste. They think to deceive Allah and those who believe, but they deceive not except themselves and perceive it not. And their hearts is disease. So Allah has increased their disease and for them is a painful punishment because they habitually used to lie. Not a very harsh language, of course, the punishment of fornicators, but you have to remember that it's also beautifully stated in the Quran too. Allah does not give any injustice to the just. Are just deeds the same as unrighteous deeds? And we earn what we sow, what we do. And when it is said to them, do not cause corruption on the earth, they say, we are but reformers. And look at the Gnostic movement today. People are taught by the Master Samael, don't be fanatic. Don't be dogmatic. Don't traumatize your students. And yet there are many people going to other groups, trying to steal students, going to other movements, saying we are but reformers, trying to reform the Gnostic movement. And it's very crazy. But you look at the Quran, this is about these kinds of people. Unquestionably, it is they who are the corruptors, but they perceive it not. And these are the types of missionaries who go about teaching who don't have any experience about what they teach. 
and they create many problems. And when it is said to them, believe as the people have believed, they say, should we believe as the foolish have believed? Unquestionably, it is they who are the foolish, but they know it not. And I like that statement by the Master Samael and Vior. It says, they not only ignore, but they ignore that they ignore. They're profoundly ignorant. And when they meet those who believe, they say, we believe. But when they are alone with their evil ones, their egos, they say, indeed, we are with you, the egos. We were only mockers. But Allah mocks them and prolongs them in their transgression while they wander blindly because people need to pay their karma gradually in this society, in this physical plane. More and more, people are going to suffer the consequences of their actions. Is building up more and more and more until finally the Tower of Babel will be fulminated in this humanity, a symbol of the end of the Aryan race. Those are the ones who have purchased error in exchange for guidance. So their transaction has brought no profit, nor were they guided, meaning internally. It's sad that many Muslims in this physical world believe that they are guided by Allah because they simply think and feel a certain way, meaning they don't have samadhis in meditation or talk to their inner God to receive knowledge. So that's the guidance we're talking about, internal experiences. Their example is that of one who kindled the fire, but when it illuminated what was around him, Allah took away their light and left them in darkness so they could not see. Deaf, dumb, and blind, so they will not return to the right path, the path of chastity. Or it is like a rainstorm from the sky within which is darkness, thunder and lightning. They put their fingers in their ears against the thunderclaps in dread of death. But Allah is encompassing of the disbelievers, meaning not only people who are in the black lodge, but also the, our own egos. Sometimes our being comes to us like lightning. The runes sink, as you see in the image of the fulminated tower. You have the lightning bolt striking the tower. The runes sink, the divine mother. That lightning of Allah, which punishes the fornicators, people who destroy themselves sexually. The lightning almost snatches away their sight. Every time it lights the way for them, they walk therein. But when darkness comes over them, they stand still. And if Allah had willed, he could have taken away their hearing and their sight. Indeed, Allah is over all things competent. So it's a very beautiful symbol of how when we are working with our light, we receive guidance. But also that power is very terribly divine. Rejects the negative forces. Another beautiful teaching is from Surah Al-Imran. Chapter 3, verses 162 to three, uh, 63. So is one who pursues the pleasure of Allah like one who brings upon himself the anger of Allah and whose refuge is hell. And wretched is the destination. Because, of course, devolving in the, inter- the interior of the earth through successive states of devolution is very painful. So is one who pursues chastity and virtue the same as a fornicator? Obviously it is not. But, of course, people don't like to believe that their actions and their Sexual perversity is producing their damnation. That is why they were expelled from Eden. They are varying degrees in the sight of Allah, and Allah is seeing of whatever they do. So these are the eyes of Oros, what we call Pranya Paramita intuition, the capacity to see the being of a person, the Ain Sof of an individual, our own superatomic star that we talked about in Rakanam 2. 
of this course. So how do we develop our spiritual sight? We work with our stone, our testes, the stones of a person, the ovaries of the woman or the testicles of the man. Aben. When we work with Yesod, the sexual energy, we're working with Aleph to the science of Tsodi. Yesod is the acronym of Sodi, meaning secret, the secret knowledge. We transmute the power of our stone up our, our Vav so as to release Zayim, the Kundalini, through alchemy. Noon within Aben is the sexual sperm or the ovum of the woman. And then that noon becomes Zayin, the sword, which defends us against any negative entity. And we work with that stone by Aleph, Aben. Sounds like Amen, too. When you transmit the power of your stone to your, and raise the Kundalini up, the vertebrae of the spine to your head and then to your heart, you say, Amen. So be it. It is accomplished. Another important point, too, is that the power of our stone and alchemy is controlled through breath, which is why a couple shouldn't pronounce mantras in sexual union, in alchemy. But if there's too much movement, too much breathing, erratic breathing and, and lust, then obviously the energies, instead of going inward and upward, they go from in to out, which is why we work with Aleph very diligently. And if the couple needs to restrain that fire, they have to pause and breathe very deeply, Restrain that energy. Be patient. Don't stimulate so much fire that one loses it. Because those initiates are bodhisattvas who can't control the fire of sex and their marriage. The energy goes from in, out. And then they become blinded like Samson. They lose their spiritual sight, their perception. It's interesting that Psalm Island VR mentions that the crimes of those who fall he says that those bodhisattvas who fall lose their divine sight, their clairvoyance, their powers. He even said they become wandering Jews. It's the trope of the wandering Jew, lost or exiled from Israel. Israel is not in the Middle East in this planet. It's really a reference to the Absolute. Isis Ra'el, the power of Isis, the Divine Mother, the power of Ra, the Solar Logos, and the power of El, the Spirit. Israel. And those bodhisattvas who fall enter cyclic existence and wander until they're given many opportunities to rise again. If they stubbornly refuse, they're sent to Klopoth accused of three crimes, according to Samayam Veor. The assassination of their inner god through fornication. The dishonor of the Elohim. And then other minor crimes committed through diverse incarnations. We have to guard our sight from fornication and adultery, says Jesus. So, the fulminated tower exists if we let our lust govern our mind. As I said, looking lustfully at other people or other images pornographically can produce nocturnal pollutions and we lose our energies at night when we're sleeping. Which is why Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 to 29, You have heard it that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Therefore, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. 
You've also heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, because our divine sight cannot be developed and conquered by those who are enslaved to anger, resentment, revenge, etc. But whosoever enviously shall smite or scorn you in your right cheek, meaning you perform right action to people, turn to him the other to show that he is right and that you're not perfect. But if any man shall sue you at the law, take away your coat and let him have your cloak also. And whoever shall compel you to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not away. So anger destroys clairvoyance. Lust destroys clairvoyance. We lose our sight, spiritually speaking. Because clairvoyance is like a beautiful lake that can reflect the waters of heaven inside of us. But if we are filling our waters of our mind with garbage, the mind becomes disturbed and filled with impurities. Very difficult to control that. Therefore, it's good to still the waters, clear our clairvoyance, not fill it with gibberish, which is represented by the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel is a symbol of the abuse of the word. So there are many Christian movements today that emphasize or talk about speaking in tongues, where they just pronounce gibberish. It's a very silly uh, adulteration of the, of the doctrine because angels don't speak in gibberish. We leave that to Monty Python. But, you know, Babel is a symbol of the abuse of the word. Christ above is heavenly, but down here is gibberish. Ego. Egos. And so the, we'll read for you this whole excerpt from the book of Genesis about the abuse of the word. Because it's a symbol of this fallen humanity. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, meaning from Tiferet, from Dat, meaning we all came from the heavenly kingdoms and descended down. They, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Shin, Nun, Ain, Ra. You hear the word Ur, Nur, light there, but you have Ain in the middle, meaning that that light is not pure, because the Ain can be impure or pure. And so the land of Shinar is a symbol of this physical plane where the power of noon and the power of Ur, the light, is trapped in materialism, in animality, in desire. And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. Or let us make Libanah and Shedek them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. The language in Hebrew is very interesting because it hides many acrostics here. So why use the word brick instead of why use brick instead of stone? They're trying to use slime to build this tower. What do this tower even symbolizes? For many people, it's this society, but also even our own mind, thinking that we can reach heaven through our intellect. That brick is used for stone, meaning it's an imitation. It isn't working with aben, the power of chastity, to build. The solar body is in our spine. They're in an objective work. Even the word burn, sherek, to burn with lust, reminds us of the word sheker, which means treason. Sherek, sheker, same letters, but reversed. Kuf with resh and rosh and rosh with kuf. So we commit treason when we fornicate. And literally, it's the word for slime. It's a very obvious sexual symbol. 
people are building their towers in their mind of the, what they idolize in this humanity by fornicating. They expel their semen. They're filthy. And then they would burn these bricks thoroughly. The word for thoroughly is serafah, which reminds us of sephirah. So people are trying to reach heaven, the sephiroth, but look at their behaviors. Look at all the Christian movements today and people who really idolize divinity and really love divinity, but they continue to masturbate and be adulterers and fornicate. So how are you, you going to reach heaven with this, this type of society? This is a big fulminated tower, or a tower that's going to be fulminated very soon in terms of this Aryan root race. So all that is treason. Trying to approach God with lust is very crazy. And they said, go to, let us build this, a city and a tower, a migdal. And migdal reminds us of gedulah, gadal, gadol, great God, gedulah. And whose rosh, whose top, may reach into heaven. Meaning, there are people trying to reach heaven by being fornicators. They're building a tower in themselves or idolizing false gods. Anger, lust, lust, violence, pride, resentment, greed, fear, hatred, and everything that this Aryan race worships. And let it reach into Rosh, meaning their heaven, so that it may reach into the heavens. Because people want to reach heaven with their intellect. They think that they can know God through the mind. And it's the opposite. You know it through the heart. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The word for let us make is Asya. And the word Asya is the world of matter and action, this physical plane. Let us make a name for ourselves. People are always trying to make a false sense of identity with this humanity or this society. Let us make a Shem. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us leave behind a lot of money and goods and, and material things for our family and loved ones because we'll go to the grave and that'll be it. People think very simplistically. Obviously, we want to help our loved ones and family, but thinking that this is the whole maximum of what we are and what we should do is limited. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us be on the top of our politics. Let us belittle others. Let us be violent with our speech and our words and our hatreds and our pride. But that name is not the name, Hashem. People don't want to follow Hashem, which is Christ. When the Jews say Baruch Hashem Adonai or Baruch Hashem Jehovah, must be the name of Yod Chava. They're referring to Christ, Chokmah, and the Kabbalah. But people don't want to make a name for God. They don't want to worship divinity in them. They want to make a means for themselves materially and thinking that nihilistically they will die and they will cease to be. Lest we be scattered abroad the whole face of the earth. And the Lord came down to them to see the city and the tower. Meaning, in our own spine, divinity looks in us to see what is our development with the kundalini, which the children of men builded. Ben ha'adam. The children or sons of men is Ben. And then Adam, Adam is a man. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they will all have one language. And this they begin to do, being fornicators. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Because people are now in this humanity, trying to travel to Mars and other planets in order to spread our degeneration there. Even the movies like Total Recall, I mean, to be kind of funny with it, but 
literally you look at that kind of film and you see what are the behaviors of this humanity that we want to bring as a colony to there. It's ridiculous. Society of prostitutes and sexual degenerates. That can't exist. This is why divinity is going to annihilate this humanity to prevent that. And the Lord said, Let us go down, go to, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Let us balal, confound their sefa, safa, their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Even the word balal is the name of a demon. Ba'el, whom we reject. In the name of Gabriel, may Adonai command thee and draw thee hence Ba'el. The word Adonai means Lord. And Ba'el is a Lord too, but of hell. So people are confounded in this day and age. People are very confused. People love degeneration, violence. All these things which corrupt the psyche. Therefore divinity says, let us confound their language. And obviously people literally interpret this as a symbol of how all the languages of the earth developed. There's that historical component to it. This relates to the times of Atlantis and even Lemuria. How humanity became divided. But if you look at the word Safa, language, you had the word Rosh, you spell Sephira. Let us confound their Sephirot. Meaning, you had that tree of life developed in you, but if you become a fornicator, God will confound it. Meaning, the fulminated tower will exist if we fall, we fornicate, we lose all the powers of the Sephiroth, the tree of life, in us. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the, all the earth, all those bodhisattvas who decided to enter fornication. And they left off to build the city, meaning uh, the word ir, ayin yod ra, or rosh. So this is the psychological country that Salman Vera speaks of in the Great Rebellion, our psychological country. Because Ain is the, the perception of the eyes of the spirit, but channeled through Yod, the sexual energy, and Rosh, the head. So that city of the demons of this whole planet, whether it be Chicago, New York, L.A., whatever cities that exist on this planet, which is ruled by demons and populated by demons. Obviously, this is the psychological city that people live in too, but also psychologically in us. Therefore, it is the name of, of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. Obviously people think of it as a little history, but really has to do with, uh, psychologically, we become babbling idiots. People who speak gibberish, psychologically speaking. Because when we have anger and lust and pride and all the ego, we are a tower of Babel that's going to be fulminated. Unless we learn to bring, build our selves upon solid ground, the stone of the temple, Aben. So in conclusion, we'll talk about the story of Samson, which Salman Vera quotes from Eliphaz Levi quite extensively. He also speaks about how the astral light, which is the energies of the astral plane, but also found in our semen, grants beauty either in heaven or hell. When that light coagulates in a flower, he says that that light makes, creates great beauty and makes people fall in love with it. And the same with the opposite sex. People of beauty or physical attraction have a lot of astral light, obviously hypnotize many people. And people who live, who live bewitched by the astral light, always looking at women or men of the opposite sex with lust, end up being fulminated towers. Because that desire, even if one doesn't act on it, is always going to exist in the mind until it, until it grows stronger and bigger or until it drags one down. So if your left eye offend thee, pluck it out. 
if you see your lustful senses looking at in a sexually degenerate way towards other people, go home and meditate on that ego and look at that fault in yourself so that you can eliminate it through the help of your Divine Mother so that we don't become like Samson. Woe unto the Samson of the Kabbalah if he permits himself to be put asleep by Delilah, the Heracles of science who exchanges his royal scepter for the distaff of Omphali will soon experience the vengeance of Dajanira, and nothing will be left for him but the pyre of Mount Oeda in order to escape the devouring folds of the cult of, cult of Nessus from Eliphaz Levi. Just, this is a very dense statement that the master doesn't really explain. He expects people that are going to investigate and study. So I'll explain some of this for you. So the word Samson comes from Shemesh On, Sham Shon. Shemesh in Hebrew means sun. S-U-N, the solar light. And Aun is the sexual strength of virility of God. So Aun also is similar to Ain, because how you perceive is how you work with your Aun, your sexual strength. So the distaff of Omphali, uh, Heracles was, he inadvertently murdered Iphitus and was commanded by the Delphic oracle Xenoclea to be a slave to Omphali for a year with the compensation to be paid to a king by the name of Eurythus from Ocalia, I believe. So in this myth, Heracles had to wear women's clothing. He had to hold a basket of wool and a distaff where women could sew with him and spin with the maidens of Omphali. So this is a symbol of degradation. you got a solar masculine force being put into a lunar element. It's a symbol of how any bodhisattva who falls gives away all the kingdoms of Christ above to become a, a lunar animal, a demon, which is degrading. It's very tragic. So Heracles was also in love with Iole, who was the daughter of Eurytus, who was the king of Oikalia. So Heracles claimed Iole for marriage, and he did so by winning a contest. But Eurytus refused to give his daughter to marriage based on Heracles' reputation as a Womanizer. So Heracles then wooed Dejanera, took her for wife, and then Dejanera became jealous that Heracles would love Aeole more, since he sacked the city of Oikalia and then took Aeole as a concubine. And because Dejanera did not want to lose Heracles to the younger and more beautiful Aeole, he uh, wanted to charm him. So she used the, the code of Nessus, and Nessus was a centaur who once ferried De Janeiro across the river Evenus. I believe, I believe uh, yeah, Nessus was a centaur. And he ferried her over the river uh, Evenus and tried to rape her when they crossed. Heracles saved her from Nessus by shooting him with poison arrows. Nessus told her with his dying breath that if he soaked her, Heracles' cloak in his blood, it would serve as a love charm. Very interesting symbols. Obviously, Nessus is a big ego. Half man, half horse. Half divine, half diabolic. Is a haslamus, as we explained previously. But Dejanera believed his lie that Heracles would no longer want any woman afterwards. So she wanted to prevent Heracles and Neole from being together. So they gave, she gave him the cloak, he put it on, and the poison went into his body and then was going to kill him. And when she realized her mistake, she killed herself. Dejanera. Heracles, knowing he would die, he climbed Mount Oida and built his funeral pyre. So a very complicated story, but you can see that Heracles is the solar initiate, a bodhisattva, 
who was poisoned by his own ego. And Dijanera, we could say, is a feminine aspect of our soul. You know, she wants to marry Heracles, but in order for him to do so, he has to climb the mountain of Oita, the mountain of initiation. And in that way, build his funeral pile, incinerate all that poison he has in himself, the poison of desire. So we kill lust through initiation, through the death of the ego. So don't be like Samson, meaning you have a lot of power in heaven that you're developing, but then give it all away for a few moments of desire. Because many people fall and fail in that way. Of course, feed your mind with good food, psychologically speaking, good impressions. And in the way we prevent many problems psychologically for ourselves. So many questions. All it seems to be, a lot of the lessons we have here have to do with, you mentioned chastity, which is kind of synonymous with the libido, which has to be purified. Now, over and over, the mechanism, and you mentioned the sun over and over again, from what I've read, other, other cultists have written, it, it dovetailed a lot with what Samuel Langlois says, the sun, but then the next question is, it begs the question, well, how do I get it in me? Through meditation. But still, in that act of meditation, first of all, some of them say, and it relates to the first god, the magician. Right. Sun, what was he doing? He's bringing again, again and again the sun. And to, be, to make yourself transparent, they say, and right. concentrate on it, shutting it on it, you have to be calm first, you have to get that, otherwise nothing will happen. To, to concentrate, not too hard though, not to overexert, to see that light with your eyes shut coming down into your heart, goes through your brain, they say, into your heart. And, and there's a, there seems to be an advantage there. They say, some of the cultists say, automatically it will raise the vibrations and help purify the libido. Yeah, so you do certain imagination exercises which will bring the solar energy into your mind. You can visualize Christ from the absolute that's entering into you. And in that way, we charge ourselves. So we work with transmutation practices, but also the runes. The runes. So the runes are very powerful for that. Do the rune man, arms up over your head. Facing the east, say those prayer to the solar logos, like we mentioned. Yes. O thou, solar logos, igneous emanation, substance and consciousness of Christ. And you're invoking the solar energy to come down into you. And with like the seven runes too, especially the rune sig, in which you're kneeling on the ground or trying to bend your knees as much as you can. You do the vowel, the letter s, or certain mantras that work with the libido to not only bring that energy down, but also transmute your energy back up. Because when you work with the seven runes, like we've explained previously, you're invoking Christ down your tree of life. For your head, the vowel E. E. To the throat, the vowel E. E. To the heart, the vowel O. O. The solar plexus, the vowel U. U. The lungs, the vowel A. A. Then the last two really work with the libido themselves. Naval M. With the rune man. And then the rune sig. So imagine that energy descending down into you, down your tree of life, charging your whole body with Christ. And then when that energy mixes with your sexual energy and your libido, with the rune man, Naval M. And then with sig, you're sending it all back up through your spine to your head. So you're creating a circuitry, a transparency of forces in you where Christ is flowing in and out. That raises the vibrations of the body, right? Yes. Yes, and we need to work with that energy very diligently so that we can, you know, awaken our ayin, 
our imagination. Because spiritual sight doesn't only refer to self-observation too, but it's all related to the faculty of imagination, how you perceive images of a psychic type. So you can also do those mantras when you're seated in your chair. E, E, O, U, A, M, S. Imagine the solar light. If you don't want to stand up, I know sometimes we do runes here, we stand for a long period of time. You can also sit in your chair, do those mantras, visualize the energy descending down into you, then returning back up your spine. The vowel S. And that's how you form aurus in you. And create the solar light. Quite a few mantras on you. I think you mentioned once. Find one that you feel more comfortable with, or you find that you might find more effective. Yes. Yeah. So well, obviously, to try to practice every mantra that is available in this teaching is gonna be impossible. But you work with the ones that are really effective for you, which is why the Master Samael gave so many different practices to awaken our ayin. So that with that energy, we naturally awaken the astral plane, the mental plane, the causal plane, and get the help that you need. So that you can learn to navigate those realms with cognition, with awareness. The problem is to, to, to get to that plane and be aware you're on that plane to, to begin with. So that's why we work with the... And that's why we work with the uh, key of soul. Subject, object, location. And that way you're aware at all times of what you're doing, where you're going. You say every day in the routine, no matter what you do, to be constantly aware of that? Everything you do. And be mindful. Mindfulness is when you're attentive all day. And just be aware of your thinking. And driving now, I mean, there are other things you have to be attentive at the same time. Oh, yeah, it's very difficult, obviously. Trying self-observation. Obviously, self-observation is not this intellectual process. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at my socks and my shoes, and I'm, you know, acting like Dick Tracy, where you're trying to, you know, investigate everything in a very intellectual way. It's not intellectual, but obviously, uh, when you're driving your car, you need to be very careful. That's the great way to practice self-observation, because obviously... People who drive in Chicago are quite bad. New York, yeah, even worse. Sorry for listeners in New York. Yeah, questions. Is it better to be happy living in the moment, doing what you love, becoming the great artist, becoming the great painter, becoming the great teacher, becoming the great uh, uh, singer? All my work is actually, you know, every day reading, getting more of this knowledge, or being the great human, becoming the great human living in the moment. Well, the more you uh, work on your ego, the more you remember your, pre- your, your being and the moment too. And the greatest artists have always been intuitive. They didn't necessarily have a type of religious belief system or upbringing, but they were conscious of what those religions taught. And like Beethoven, Wagner, Mozart, Chopin, Liszt, great initiates who taught in their music the path that leads to Christ, divinity, in a very cognizant way. And we always emphasize to students and people around the world too that the more you work on your ego and the less ego you have, the greater and more profound your art will be, more beautiful like the great writers, the great poets, great musicians, really the, the best of humanity, they all really uh, reflected God in them. And in that way, they were able to 
give to humanity a very precious gift, which of course people don't really appreciate now, but to kind of take it for granted. But obviously, the more you work on your ego, eliminate desire, the more your being can express through you and express that perfection to others. And so that becomes a, you develop more certainty that way too, more faith. Yeah, so it takes a long time. Da Vinci and Beethoven and all of them didn't become what they were you until. Never <laughs> no, it just takes. It's always a delicate process. Well, you know, there's like there's a difference between it's not enough to just be awake in the moment. You know, to just be awake in the moment is the starting point. So you're saying there's all these people who follow religion blindly, and they're just like, nope, can't do that, can't do that, but they never really awaken to, why can't I do that? Why can't I touch the fire? You know, they never actually try those things out. Like in your example, you know, well, if I, if I just shun my anger and I never find out what my anger is and how to master it, then I don't become the golden warrior, right? So first we have to be awake to our situation, but then there's two ways to awaken. If I awaken to my situation and I think, okay, now that I'm awake, I can take advantage of other people and I can get a lot of money and a lot of power and do Where this. Where can you do? Then you awaken negatively. Left hand fast. Right. Or you can awaken positively and say, okay, I'm awake. Let me help people. Let me find creative ways to serve humanity and connect with minor divinity. So look at somebody like R. Kelly. You know, a famous artist, lots of hits. People love his art. And look at what's coming out right now about the way that he is terribly treated women and, you know, uh, pedophilia and stuff like that. So you can build the tower on, you know, on the foundation of slime and become famous and seem successful, but someday that tower is going to fall. And then all that good stuff that you got for the left-hand path is going to fall on your head and become, you know, your curse versus building on the foundation of divinity and awakening positively and getting rid of desire then mm. that foundation is immortal because it's rooted in the, the eternal. What about positive desire? I think there's two types. So you're talking about desire for divinity? Yeah, even to, help, to help people? Desire to help. Well, yeah. is it a desire to help people because it makes them look good? Uh-huh. Or is it a desire to help people because genuinely I feel compassion for their suffering? And there's the ego involved when it makes you look good. That's why we have to be awake. Because if you're not awake and you're just like, oh, I'm just trying to do the good things, you might just be doing the good things for yourself. For yourself. Like those. You don't know better. Like those, uh, thank you. Like those uh, people who go around saying, "I'm the master so and so," in the Gnostic movement, they they think they're helping people. And I, I even get emails sometimes from these groups, like they're saying, "Like we've just the master so and so is commanded. We've excommunicated such and such because he's a witch and a sorcerer." You know, really weird, crazy things. Like, why would you go around pointing your finger at someone saying they're a witch? Meanwhile, you have three fingers pointing towards you, and you're falling up to heaven saying, "Look at me." I'm a hypocrite. So we often think that people of that type are always thinking, the Pharisee always thinks they're doing good. And we all have that Pharisee inside that thinks that we are doing the right thing, a good thing for people, but by their fruits you will know them. You know, meditate on the results. Is our actions producing the welfare and happiness of others or are we feeding the generation and others? So we have to discriminate. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for that. Because hubris is a in literary studies, at least, it refers to uh, kind of like a mystical pride of 
a character who thinks that they're infallible. Like you find that in Odysseus in the Odyssey. His fault is that he thinks he's so great. And that's what always gets him into trouble to the point that he nearly dies many times. So it's a quality of an initiate who thinks that they're very high up and therefore they can't fall. And that lack of discretion is what gets them into trouble. Thinking that they're so infallible that they can conquer anything. But in the meantime, they really they uh, create problems for themselves. Enter many dangers that are unnecessary. Pride always calls for, goes before the fall. If we think that we are self-sufficient, then we will be fulminated because only God is sufficient. As the Quran teaches, one of the names of Allah is the self-sufficient, the praised. Your final questions. Sometimes misfortunes in life are a wake-up call. That's, that's another thing. Yes, we need to take advantage of the worst moments so that our sight is awakened spiritually and that we don't make mistakes. Walk with caution. Thank you for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at chicagonosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.